today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I've got the Holy Spirit alongside of me as a helper. I got the Holy Spirit indwelling me as a believer. And now I've got the Holy Spirit upon me? Yeah. Empowering me? Yeah. So much so that your life will become like torrents of living water. You know when there's a flood, you see those flood waters, how powerful they are? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will remind you that there is power in your life when the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your heart. Not only do you now have the power to overcome sin in your life, but you also can serve the Lord with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These gifts can empower you for the mission God has for you. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Timothy chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. No, when you said such and thus, that was for me. I'm like, thank you, Lord. (laughs) That was the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. I'm going to have to, you're going to have to bear with me on this, just, just for a moment, okay? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Hang on to that word, upon, for just a moment. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay. Uh, This word power, in the original language of the Greek New Testament, is Dumas, where we get our English word for, you'll forgive me for saying it like this, dynamite. That was an old sitcom, you young people have no idea. Dynamite. Power. That's the Holy Spirit's power. Let's talk about this word upon. Why is that important? Because there are three different Greek prepositions in the original language that describe the work of the Holy Spirit. One of those prepositions is para in the Greek, alongside. It's where we get our English words for things like paralegal, parachute, parallel. The Holy Spirit is para, the paraclete comes alongside. And then there's the Greek pronoun en, en, where we get in, I am. That's the Holy Spirit in you, indwelling you. But then there's a third, and it's the Greek pronoun epi, our English word upon. That's a whole different ball game. So I've got the Holy Spirit alongside of me as a helper. I got the Holy Spirit indwelling me as a believer. And now, I've got the Holy Spirit upon me? Yeah. Empowering me? Yeah. 
so much so that your life will become like torrents of living water. You know when there's a flood, you see those flood waters, how powerful they are? They're bringing whole houses like a, like a toothpick downstream. That's how powerful it is. I love the, the best illustration I ever heard was that of a canoe. I'm going to make it local, canoe on the beach. You want to get it into the water, but it's on the beach in the sand. So you're trying to push the thing and, you know, it's not moving. And then all of a sudden here comes the tide, the water. And I mean, you just take your pinky because of the power of the water and the tide to take that into the water. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what are you saying, Pastor? Are you going to get Pentecost on me? Just hang in there. This is known as the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you, that's the epi, the upon. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought I had the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit indwells you, in you. But the Holy Spirit can be upon you. That's different than in you. That's upon you. Here's an illustration. You got a, a glass and you got a pitcher full of water. Okay? You take that pitcher, you put it, put it next to the glass. It's alongside para. Now, you take that pitcher and you start pouring water in the glass. That's indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But what if you just kept on pouring that thing upon to where it's overflowing? That's the appeal, the filling, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. <laughs> That's the how. You know, I, I read God's Word. Better said, God's Word reads me. <laughs> I search the Scriptures. The Scriptures search me, find me wanting in many areas. And available to me, available to you, is this power of the Holy Spirit to do everything that's in this Holy Word. That's how. That's how. Why? Ah, well, verses 15 through 18. <laughs> Paul is saying that the reason why is because if you let your guard down, you're not on guard then you're going to go the way of these two men. I'm not going to try to pronounce their names again. I'm sure I butchered them when I was reading the text. Which is interesting if you think about it. For the better part of 2,000 years, all of the Christians and even non-Christians who have read this particular passage in God's Word have read about these two men. How would you like to be the, these two men? 
and have your name recorded <laughs> in God's Word for everyone to see that you abandoned and deserted. You're a deserter. Wow, where, where's the love? Again, why do we have this in our Bibles? Why, why does this rise to the level? Because it serves as a warning to us as to why it is that we have to guard the truth of God's Word with our lives. Because if we don't, then we too have this propensity to desert and abandon the truth. Oh, by the way, for those of you who read ahead to stay ahead, you know what's ahead in, in 2 Timothy? Those that have abandoned the truth. Why? 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 I want to know why. Because they were what, and you'll forgive me, they're what I call fair-weathered Christians. Paul, pastor, careful, okay. Uh, interesting, this Onesiphorus, again if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, that Paul would then conversely say, by the way there was one guy, Timothy, that not only did he not abandon and desert me, when I was imprisoned in Rome, he came and he searched for me, and he found me, tenaciously searched for me, and it was a tremendous blessing to me. By the way, in that day, they did not serve you meals as they do today in prison. You were on your own. The only way you ate is if you had friends and family that brought you food. Otherwise you starved to death. So apparently, he's like, man, i got to get to Paul. And he tenaciously pursued and found Paul and blessed Paul so much. And think about this. In a day when everybody was abandoning him, ashamed of him, disenfranchising themselves from him and the, the gospel with, with him, ashamed of the gospel, ashamed to be a Christian, and then you got this Onesiphorus and Timothy, and they are loyal till death to Paul and the gospel. Wow. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the greatest dangers for Christians living in these times, in this world that we're living in, I'll tell you, this would have to be it. What do you mean? Well, cowering and faltering, deserting at a time in human history when Christians are being exposed as the fair-weathered Christians that they are. You know what I mean by fair-weathered Christians? I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I speak the truth in love here. You know, there's nothing like a, a crisis that really, as they say, shows one's true colors. You've heard that expression, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I like those. Those are manly, 
sayings, right? Well, for the fair-weathered Christian, when the going gets tough, they run. They run. At a time when the world needs to see Holy Spirit-filled and empowered, fearless, unflinching fearlessness in believers. I'll even take it a step further and say, and again, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but this is just the truth, man. And I, I, I ask the Lord to search my own heart concerning this. I truly do not believe there has ever been a time in human history where Christians have needed to stand strong in the power of His might. And the world is watching. They're longing, they're aching, they're begging, they're pleading to see a Christian who's the real deal. Because they're freaking out. And rightfully so. What am I going to do? And then Along comes you. I don't know, what are we going to do? Oh no, there's no hope. No, (laughs) along comes you. Oh, you got joy. What's that like? Huh, something different about you. What is it? Oh, so glad you are. You know the two questions that every non-Christian is asking the Christian? It's not vocalized, but they're asking it. And would to God that we would give to everyone an answer of that hope that lies within us. They want to know two things about you, Christian. Are you real? Are you the real deal? Or are you just like all the other Christians I've encountered? And the second question is, does it work? Is it real? Are you real? (laughs) And does it work? And here's the thing, they want you to be real. And they want it to work, because if you're real and it works, then there's hope for them. And people are looking for hope. Are you kidding me? Do you see the fear in people's eyes? My daughter and I walk our dog, and I I just, I look at people, and this mom, young mom, pushing a, nobody around her, pushing a, uh, you know, her uh, stroller. I remember those days, a long time ago, but (laughs) pushing her stroller. Her infant has a mask on, she has a mask on. I just want to say, and the fear in her eyes. I just wanted to go up to her, which wouldn't have worked, because she would have ran the other way, see me coming. Be, you know, you got to be <laughs> prudent, obviously. And People are looking for hope. They need hope. And Jesus is their only hope. I'm telling you, and this was the gist of the prophecy update, we've got to get 
Jesus to people and people to Jesus as quickly as we can. We're really running out of time. I want to close with Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is part of a letter that Jesus had John write to this church. There were seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Two of those seven churches were not on the receiving end of a rebuke from Jesus. The other five were. The church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, and then the church of Philadelphia, affectionately referred to as the evangelical remnant church. No rebuke, only encouragement to hang on. Listen to what Jesus has John write. He says, verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. That's the seven-year tribulation. And this is a promise from Jesus to this church, to the church. Just keep hanging on. I know you're barely hanging on. I know you have little strength. I know you're hanging on by a threat. I know you're battle weary. I know you're enduring patiently. But I'm going to keep you from the seven year tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. Just keep hanging on. I am coming soon, verse 11. That's actually an interesting word in the original language. Uh, Some of your translations translate it quickly. It's the Greek word tacos, not tacos, poke, or tacos, Mexican. No, tacos, where we get our English word for the tachometers in our cars. It's RPMs, a measurement of revolutions per minute. The time is set, one minute. The revolutions are gauged. What Jesus is saying is, I'm coming at a time when things are revved up. Redlining, for those of you that are car guys, it's it's redlining. And then he says this, hold on to what you have. Guard it. Guard it with your life so that no man will take your crown. Is that possible? Oh, sure. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't be ignorant, Paul would say, of Satan's devices. I like the King James much better. The wows of the devil. Just that preaches, man. Don't be so naive. Don't be so ignorant. That's not a, you know, he's not being, you know, rude. He's being honest. (laughs) Don't be so naive. Don't be so ignorant of Satan's strategies, the wiles of the devil. He strategizes. He studies your life. Like a military strategist studies the maps for warfare. 
And he's waiting for that optimum time to attack. And he knows when you let your guard down. And he's very patient. That's the problem. He's not in any hurry. He says, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. This way, a roaring lion. Uh, they made a movie about this many years ago. I don't like to often refer to movies, but this one was based on a true story about these man-eating lions in Africa. Oh, I mean, you, you, it, that is an apt description and picture of our enemy. These lions would just, just wait. Oh yeah, wait. And then when one of the people there in that village was vulnerable, let their guard down, now, boom, attack. That's what he does. You're tired. That's when he attacks. You're discouraged. That's when he attacks. How about this one? When you're isolated, that's when he attacks. You know, in Ephesians 6, it's very interesting, and I, okay, this will be the, the final closing. So, Ephesians 6, we, we know it well, right? The armor, the spiritual armor, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit, shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, which holds everything together, by the way. Very interesting. It's a, it's a stunning study, by the way. But he makes this, this comment. He says, above all, taking up the shield of faith. Now, why would he say that? Does that mean the shield of faith is more important above all the other pieces of the armor? No. He's saying this, and they would have understood the analogy. You take that shield and you put it above all of you, locked tongue and groove together to create this impenetrable fortress so that when the enemy fires those fiery arrows, you don't get hit. Because that shield is locked tongue and groove above all. Now here's what happens. Satan waits until you're out from that covering and protection. We got one. And that's it. He attacks. That's why it's so important to not isolate yourself. If you do, you do so to your own peril. We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family can be a source of support, comfort, and most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy with this in mind. He knew how important it was to have the support and prayers of other believers in Christ. Church is also a place you can serve and encourage others, too. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, 
in spiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast prophecy updates and an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is inspiritandtruthradio.com. As we continue to study wisdom from the book of 2 Timothy with Pastor J.D., we hope you've been encouraged to live out your faith in a new way. The Bible holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you on your faith journey. So keep diving in. Well, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth. 